0: Hello and welcome to the podcast from Le Monde Diplomatique. My name is George Miller, and each month I bring you an in-depth interview with one of the contributors to the latest issue of the paper. This month, I'm very pleased to say my guest is Chase Madar, a civil rights lawyer based in New York. Madar's article in this month's edition of the paper focuses on the case of Omar Khadr, captured in Afghanistan in 2002 when he was 15, and imprisoned in Bagram and later Guantanamo. Khadr is about to go on trial. For allegedly throwing a hand grenade that killed a u.s serviceman but his case madar argues raises profound questions about the united states treatment of detainees before we got on to that though we began with what chase madar termed guantanamo arithmetic
1: guantanamo of course has always been advertised as a necessary place to keep the worst of the worst those were bush's words but in fact over 600 guantanamo prisoners have been released most of these detainees have been released under Bush and Cheney. Uh, There are now only 176 prisoners left. This tells you that many of the people who have been imprisoned there were imprisoned there for really no good reason, and that this worst of the worst bit really doesn't hold up to scrutiny. Of the 176 remaining prisoners, Forty-five will be held indefinitely. That is the stated policy of the Obama government. It's a policy that Obama and many, and many Democrats criticized when it was the Republican line. But now that Obama is in office, this is something that has, well, continued. And there is much less criticism of it now that Obama is in office. Fifty-one prisoners have filed habeas petitions. This is a very old legal procedure whereby prisoners can petition the government to find out, well, is there any legitimate reason why you're keeping me in your custody? I mean, this a very at liberty. And of these 51 habeas petitions, 36 have been granted by the U.S. federal courts. So that's about 75% of the prisoners who have filed these petitions have been granted, a, a, well, a give-out of Guantanamo free card the military commissions, this is the court system that was invented for Guantanamo. Its big selling point was that it's supposed to be fast and efficient. Well, in the eight years that Guantanamo has been running, there have only been four convictions, so they are moving at a very glacial pace. Now, Obama is about to have his first Guantanamo trial. It's going to begin in mid-August, and uh, It's a remarkable trial. The the defendant will be a young man named Omar Khadr, who was only 15 years old when he was captured outside Kabul in July of 2002.
2: Maybe you can tell us what he has been accused of and also what we know about his treatment in the past eight years since he was captured.
1: Well, Omar Khadr, he was 15 years old when he was captured. He uh, was captured right after a firefight with American troops. And he is accused of throwing a hand grenade that killed a U.S. serviceman, a special forces medic named uh, Sergeant First Class Christopher Spear. It's not entirely clear that Omar Khadr threw this grenade. Really, he's the only uh, surviving member of the, the party. Perhaps that is why the U.S. government is trying to pin this death of Christopher Spear on him. How was he treated? We know that he was treated very roughly at Bagram Prison and then at Guantanamo. One uh, American medic has testified back at the end of April that he saw Omar Khadr not long after he had been captured in Bagram Prison in a pen that was just five foot square that he was standing up with his outstretched arms. Chained to the walls of his cell. His arms were outstretched to oh, about eye level and that he had a hood clamped onto his head and that the young man was weeping. I think that if this kind of treatment were ever administered to an American soldier, very few people would hesitate to call it torture. Uh, and yet this was a standard operating procedure that American uh, interrogators told out to prisoners at Bagram Prison. What's truly remarkable about Omar Khadr's case is that this is the first trial of a child soldier of, for war crimes in modern history. I think the last time there was a child soldier put on trial for war crimes was a case in uh, right after World War II, when the British tried a uh, German youth and. Uh, you know, the the cause of child soldiers and uh, their unhappy lot has been well, become quite well publicized around the world in recent years. One thinks of the empathy for child soldiers in, in Uganda, and mm. Sierra Leone, and mm. Iberia. But there doesn't seem to be any special consideration doled out for this child soldier, Obama is throwing the book at him.
2: From what you say in your article, it sounds like in the, in the context of U.S. public opinion, it's almost not an issue that the U.S. judicial system routinely processes children of 12 and 13. Therefore, someone who is perceived as an Al-Qaeda sympathizer to be on trial for a crime he was alleged to have committed at the age of 15 seems not to be an issue at all in, in America.
1: Yes, that's quite correct. In the U.S., it is quite common to try 15-year-olds as adults for felonies. And we even have people doing life without parole who Mm -hmm. were convicted for crimes committed when they were as young as 12 or 13. So uh, there are conflicting impulses. There's one minor current of opinion that does recognize that a child soldier should be viewed differently. But I think the the majority view is that, well, the kid committed the crime, you know, this is no different from a, a 15-year-old who shoots someone in a holdup, and uh, why should someone linked to al-Qaeda be given any kind of special treatment? So mm. there's not much sympathy for this child soldier, even though uh, I'm sure there's sympathy for child soldiers who are not ever fighting U.S. troops mm. when, when it this is perhaps too close to home.
2: No, the, uh, the, the age of the defendant is just one of the, the noteworthy things about this trial. Another one is the, the charges which are, are brought against him, which I think, again, are unprecedented.
1: Yes, that's absolutely correct. The most serious charge brought against Omar Khadr is murder in violation of the laws of war. And this is a freshly invented war crime made up out of whole cloth just for these military commissions. Now, let's think about this for a moment. What soldiers do uh, on the battlefield is shoot at each other, try to kill each other. That's what war is. That's what combat is. Certainly, no American soldier was ever tried for murder after being captured in North Vietnam or by the Nazis in Germany in World War II. This is not treatment given out. To POWs, but then the legal response of first the Bush-Cheney administration and now the Obama administration again, we see much continuity in this policy. Is that well, Omar Khadr, this 15-year-old, he wasn't a real soldier, he wasn't part of any legitimate army, he wasn't a uniformed combatant. He's just a terrorist, a criminal, and the technical term is unprivileged, non-uniformed, belligerent. This is the kind of reasoning that John Yoo and others used in justifying, waiving, or not applying the Geneva Conventions on uh, the detainees at Guantanamo and at Bagram. So this this is quite controversial, quite quite radical even, but I think it is the perfect legal counterpart to America's unspoken grand strategy of open-ended counterinsurgency warfare against non-state, so non-state combatants all over the world.
2: And it, it, that's, a, that's a policy which, in which you see significant continuity between the, the Bush-Cheney administration and the Obama administration, even if the, if the rhetoric may have changed, the, the policies are, are broadly similar.
1: That's that's quite correct. Uh, Under Obama, his national security team is much smoother, perhaps even a little smarter. But really all they've done is put a veneer of legality on the same old policies that used to be justified in other ways. This is the opinion of John Bellinger, former chief legal counsel to the U.S. Department of State under George W. Bush. And he meant this as a compliment, saying that, well, the Obama administration is doing a great job. They're continuing our policies, but with more attention to legality.
2: Now, the third, the third noteworthy aspect of, of this trial is, as you've already um, alluded to, the, the venue, because it's not, a, it's not a civilian court, it's not a court-martial, it's one of these military commissions. Now, listeners might, might have thought that these had been discredited and were on their way out, but that seems not to be the case.
1: No, no, indeed. Now, many Obama supporters had hoped that Obama would shut down Guantanamo immediately and shut down the military commissions. This has become a highly charged issue in American politics, the issue of what is the, the appropriate venue for the Guantanamo detainees. Should they be tried in regular federal courts using you know, all the criminal laws that we have already on the books? That have, by the way, quite successfully dealt with many accused terrorists or should they be given fewer rights and tried in these somewhat shambolic freshly invented military commissions. This is quite controversial. Obama has encountered far more resistance than he had expected in his efforts to shunt all of these detainees into federal courts. Many Republicans, for instance Lindsey Graham, a relatively moderate Republican senator, from South Carolina, who's a former military lawyer himself, has been quite adamant in saying that these people should not uh, get the same rights as Americans when they're put on trial, and Mm. that this is an issue that could destroy Obama's presidency. He's being rather apocalyptic there. Uh, This issue, as in so many other foreign policy issues in the United States, what is controlling is domestic politics. And I think that the threat of having to answer to some angry Republicans, to Liz Cheney, Dick Cheney's daughter, who likes to get on TV because the media is very fond of her and denounce the president for being soft on terrorism, Obama, his team doesn't seem to have the, the will, the political will to stand up to this. So they are capitulating virtually of return to uh, these old policies that are being continued from the Bush and Cheney administration
2: you describe an american public which has learned to live with legal black holes you know which sounds as though it's sort of rather wearied of of these debates and is happy just to turn a blind eye and, and let things let things go on
1: yes i think i think in america well look but first let me back up a bit it, mm. the term legal black hole was coined by a british law lord for mm. guantanamo been seen and, and discussed by many people, journalists, lawyers, philosophers, as this unique area where there is no rule of law, a law-free zone. I'm not entirely sure if that's correct, because there are, in fact, minute regulations and laws applying to how to well, torture detainees that were written by Judge J. Pineby, and it's not quite as simple as that, but, but let's go with it. The, I I don't think Guantanamo is quite unique as a legal black hole in the American legal system. Just as the war on terror has created, let's call it this legal black hole, we in America have had the war on drugs and the war on crime. And using the same rhetoric, public rhetoric of fear and anger and panic and resentment, Other law-free zones have been carved out in our domestic criminal justice system. So in a way, what's happening at Guantanamo could be seen as a continuation of this just to a more visible, internationally visible venue.
2: I mean, I guess guess maybe in, in conclusion, Chase, that people who supported Obama's election pledge to close Guantanamo really didn't envisage its transplantation to mainland soil as the, the solution that would be come up with?
1: No, not at all. And in fact, uh, that's seen as, as perhaps the worst outcome for a way to, to close down Guantanamo. And transporting Guantanamo in total to, say, Illinois, and that's currently being considered, I think would be much worse than keeping Guantanamo where it is because bringing the practice of indefinite detention to the American mainland sets its own precedent of, uh, of carving out a huge exception to the rule of law. Indefinite detention without charges, this is a very radical step. This is uh, seen by, by many lawyers uh, as well a violation of ancient principles of, of liberty. That is seen as not an improvement at all. However, this might be what the Obama administration does. Guantanamo is really not a place; it's a principle, as one hmm. well lawyer, American Civil Liberties Union, said. And if we stick with the same military commissions, the same practices of indefinite detention, that just bring them to Illinois, that's really no improvement whatsoever.
0: Chase Madar, you can read his article in the August edition of Le Monde Diplomatique. That's available in print and also online at mondediplo.com. Subscribers also have access to a complete archive of the paper online, as well as blogs, maps, images and previous podcasts. That's all for this edition of the podcast, but I hope you'll join me again next month for another in-depth interview. Until then, thank you very much for listening and goodbye.